Hey y'all, I'm Casey Bell from the Shake Up Learning Show, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Does the idea of stress actually stress you out? Chances are you weren't taught how to navigate stress, so you've likely been figuring it out as you go. A little meditation here, maybe some breathing exercises, but not knowing how to address the issue can add even more stress. And adults aren't the only ones that experience stress. Oftentimes, children develop adaptive coping skills to manage stress that will follow them into adulthood. These skills may or may not have a healthy long-term impact on general well-being. Whether you're an individual looking for guidance or a family seeking some support, join my friend Lynn at ConnectFlow Grow as she launches her two new exciting memberships, Stressless Society and Stressless Family. Through these memberships, Lynn will help you or your family learn how stress affects your lives and healthy ways that you can combat it. To join Lynn's programs, go to my website, stephenmaletto.com, on the front page, or go to stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors, look for the Connect Flow Grow logo, and select the class you think will help you the most, either stressless society or stressless family. Get ready to get your stress under control. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. Today, I'm talking with Jim Owens, Senior Vice President, Business Development at SDI Incorporated. We're talking about lessons learned from the pandemic centering around, oh, supply chain, facility management, HVAC operation, and of course, indoor air quality. So much to learn today. Thanks for listening. And oh, by the way, don't forget, it would be so cool if you go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and rate and review the podcast. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Jim Owens is Senior Vice President, Business Development at SDI Incorporated. 
Jim brings a unique blend of strategic and creative thought to every client engagement to create an environment of proactive collaboration and common value for both SDI's current K-12 clients and future clients. Jim works with school systems to assess their need for PPE supplies and HVAC upgrades. This process involves quantitative and qualitative research to understand each district's unique situation and forecast what consumption uh, could look like based on SDI's deep background and expertise in supply chain management. With support from SDI's PPE as a service technology, school systems can achieve a resilient PPE and essential material supply chain to protect against future supply and demand shocks. And boy, did we have some of that this last year. Uh, Jim's experience at creating and implementing successful and strategic value-driven solutions transcends industry sectors. Today, we're going to focus on lessons learned from the pandemic, indoor air quality, and recommendations for moving forward in schools. Jim, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Morning and, and hello. Thank you, uh, Dr. Maletto, for uh, inviting me to uh, meet with your audience. Well, you're more than welcome. I'm glad that you're here, and uh, we got a lot to talk about, Jim. This was uh, this is such a unique year. Uh, really, would prefer not to, to repeat this year again. Um, but you know, we've learned a lot of stuff, and uh, and we continue to to learn even more about things that we should do. So before we do anything else, you're the Senior Vice President Business Development at SDI Incorporated. Could you tell us a little about SDI and its purpose? Absolutely. So um, SDI is a supply chain solution and services company. And we're, we're not uh, a new company by any stretch. The, the company was founded in 1971 and we're celebrating our 50th year, our 50th anniversary um, that started back in, in actually in March. So we specialize in um, what, what we affectionately call MRO and MRO stands for maintenance, repair and operating supplies. And on, that also encompasses things like personal protective equipment, PPE and other essential materials like in, in a school system would be disinfectants, um, gloves, other forms of PPE, signage for social distancing, things of that nature. Um, typically, the end user of our solution and our services are, are custodians and maintenance folks that work in the school district. Um, we're not a supplier, so we, um, we're completely agnostic and we, we're a fee-for-service provider, nor are we a software or technology company. Technology really is there just to enable the solutions that we deliver. And, and generally, when a school district can, engages with us, they're, they're looking for a result. They're looking for cost savings, productivity increases, um, uptime or, or openness of their of their facilities. They're looking for help with compliance, working capital, or or just general health, safety, and environmental improvement. So that's very cool. I mean, that's, you know, one of the things that I can tell you is now in. Um, by the way, I got to say this first: happy anniversary. I mean, to the company, that's pretty cool. Um, so, Thank you. and that's and what's really awesome about that is that you know there's lots of companies that just start springing up during the pandemic <laughs> as they start realizing there's some needs. So that's cool that uh, you have a company that's celebrated such a nice uh, long history there. that's already been in existence. The, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, um, I, I think is amazing is we've all had in education and uh, not just education, I guess, you know, the business world, every, everywhere, all kinds of new acronyms added to our vocabulary. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even though it was called that before, um, you know, one of the ones in education we quickly learned was PPE and uh, the and uh, what what all is entailed in PPE and all that sort of stuff. And you know, before that, I would have called it masks and gloves and <laughs> and uh, but that was kind of kind of cool. Can you, one of the things that uh, um, I think this has been a big learning experience all around is just uh, understanding uh, what types of suppliers are out there, supply chain, how to get it, 
um, this type of equipment and things like that to help us get through things. Uh, you know, now you guys, SDI has been working, um, had a lot of experience in the New York Department of Education. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, correct. So we, um, we've had a very strong relationship with New York DOE for uh, now it's going on 20 years. And, you know, as you can imagine, the, the, the sheer size of, of the district and the number of buildings are, you know, greater than 1,800 buildings across the, the five boroughs of New York, um, wow. over a million students. And, and so we've been fortunate um, that we've been their partner for, for this, this many years, and they've really been a great organization to work with. They, they make us better um, everywhere else we work, and including the DOE, because, you know, as, as the old saying goes, you know, that New York's the city that never sleeps. And that's certainly true of the schools as well. There's always something that's, that's changing. There's always something evolving or emerging. And uh, you solve one problem, another, another one pops up. And so that forces us to always be focused on innovation and continuous improvement. Very cool. The, uh, and by the way, I can't not 1800 buildings. Um, you know, it's a little out there. Okay. <laughs> Cause within those buildings, then you have lots of kids and the, the just numbers. I, it's just amazing. Uh, the size of the district. So, so Jim, can you take a minute to share about key lessons learned through the pandemic as you worked with K through 12 districts and leaders? I mean, what do you think K through 12 organizations and leaders could learn from your experiences? Let's, let's go to both those questions. Yeah, it, it, excuse me. It's, it's a great question. And if you really, if you think back to March of, of 2020, New York City really was the epicenter of the coronavirus endemic in the United States. And, and there really was no playbook, you know, and so um, we were on the very leading edge of, of the learning curve, so to speak. And it was a you know extremely dynamic or maybe maybe volatile environment where things were changing so fast, not just daily but even hourly, as, as conditions changed and and the science was was sort of catching up with what was happening. And what we experienced was both you know it was somewhat unique in the sense that not only was it a you know a, a global health crisis, but we we experienced both a supply and a demand shock. And so on the supply side, I think we all very quickly learned that the, the supply chain for PPE in particular and, and a lot of these essential materials was, was truly global with a lot of the sources of supply residing in, in Asia and other parts of the world. Um, we also learned that um, those supply chains were very lean. Uh, and what that means is there wasn't a lot of slack or a lot of inventory anywhere within the supply chain. And then so you had that uh, condition first, and then all of a sudden, when when the public and organizations learned about the pandemic, and and the threat, there was a there was an immediate demand shock, and so everybody thought they needed N95 masks, and so there was you know almost within hours, if not a couple days, um, the supply and the demand no longer were aligned, and um, the supply chain globally was was depleted, and so. You know, we were we were left, and all districts and all types of organizations were left really to our you know our own devices to kind of figure this out. So, so lessons learned first was was that what I just what I just mentioned. The second thing is um, districts really didn't have a plan in place, and so we had a lot of calls from districts across uh, North America looking for help because they knew about our, our our brand, they knew about our experience with with New York and. Um, what we found was that most of these districts didn't have anyone accountable for, um, you know, the result and, and keeping those schools safe from a from a pandemic perspective, whether that was PPE or things like disinfectants or as, as the pandemic sort of evolved, we learned also about, 
you know, the threat to indoor air quality and, and what HVAC could do in terms of being actually a catalyst for the spread of, of COVID, you know, if it wasn't managed properly. So that was um, another thing that we learned. Um, we also learned that most schools don't keep inventory of any of these items. And so when their supplier ran out, um, they ran out. The, the other thing that I don't think the public knows very well is that when, when the pandemic really um, started to gain momentum in, in the United States, the, the federal government put um, most suppliers on what's called allocation. And so the, the large suppliers like a Honeywell or a Granger or an MSC, um, the feds came in and said, look, you, you have to dedicate your available inventory to, you know, these three priorities, federal government, healthcare workers, and, and such. Everyone else was, again, left to fend for themselves. So it was, a, it was a learning for a lot of people that no one expected. And so I think those are the things that are still front of mind for most as they look towards the future and say, you know, what if this happens again? God forbid. Very much so. I got to tell you, you know, when you talk about supply chain, there's huge learning <laughs> that went on. I mean, because just just as a note, um, as a former high school principal, one of the things that school systems start doing is turning to their high school principals and saying, we have a healthcare um, program, don't we? Um, yes, we do. Uh, okay, we've got masks there, right? Well, not that many, you know. It's like, um, and so they started robbing the uh, the healthcare uh, classes that they had for their uh, their uh, their vocational programs, and it was uh, uh, that was quite interesting, um, you know. And you talk about all the kinds of the rest of the the world, like you said, with the uh, the production of them, just really suddenly, you know, the the demand on it just there was. I mean, you, you had weird things happening, like at uh, the the giant big box uh, hardware stores, running out of uh, the type of uh, masks that uh, painters wear when they're using when they're spray painting houses and stuff. Because people buying those up, you know, it's like big old giant, uh, you know, looking like Darth Vader thing going around. And that the beginning of that is just amazing. And then before we knew it, we're dealing with uh, you've got to be kidding me, no toilet paper. <laughs> um, now there was an amazing supply chain uh, um, debacle because who. Who would have thought that you'd walk to your big store and go, yeah, all those shelves are empty. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the other lesson that was learned or, or you know, what emerged was I think there was a lot of people on the outside looking in saying, well, why don't you just shut the schools down and and we can we can do this online education for as long as, as we need. But I think what what people that aren't too close to the systems don't realize is the schools serve a lot of different functions beyond just education. So in New York City, they, they have a very large population of students that, that get their nutrition from the schools, you know, in the form of breakfast or lunch or afternoon snack. Um, there's, there's a tremendous amount of students that have special needs and require you know, special care that, that, that the school provides in a physical environment. And so, you know, in our case, in the case of the DOE and what we do, you know, shutting down was not an option. And, and so we had to look and we had to be very innovative and we had to be very agile in, in the way we, we acted. And it, you know, really became a 24-7 job for our people, keeping those schools open for as long as we could and as long as the, 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 uh, the officials wanted them to stay open. And so that, that's another thing to think about as, they go, as school districts go forward is that, you know, that's, that's a temporary option maybe, or it's a, it's a partial option, but the schools have to stay open and they have to operate. Very much so. I mean, that's, uh, you know, just, just as a side note during, uh, the complete shutdown does require the, you know, 
the thought process of, okay, what are we going to do about feeding kids, which, you know, became immediately uh, an issue. And uh, what you had in and around where I am is lots of superintendents and some of their staff started driving buses and uh, they had staff on the buses that would they prepare the meals and they bring the, the meals to the buses and then the buses would go to central locations, some of them on school property, some of them at churches and places that were out in and about throughout the, the district and big, that had some sort of a parking lot easy for people to show up to be able to pick up the food and such. And that was a it was an interesting aspect of it and a big part of it that I think many people don't realize the service that system, schools provide like that. Yeah, and in that case, what you just described is, is what we saw a lot of uh, in New York and elsewhere. Is there's a tremendous number of unsung heroes that, that really rose to the occasion. And you saw the best of humanity uh, at a time like that, where people really pitched in and, and, um, and figured out ways to, to deliver the result, keep the schools open, take care of the kids, take care of the families, and in our case, take care of those buildings. Very much so. Very much so. Is it? What a, it was amazing how quickly everything went from, you know, eh, it's going to go away <laughs> to, yeah. yeah, okay, now we got a whole different world. And, you know, and uh, eventually, like in my case, I sent the staff home. We worked from home and uh, just myself and one other staff member working out of the building for a while. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, just a strange existence that happened there. Even, even everything from having to deal with uh, what is good hand sanitizer and what is bad yes. hand sanitizer. It's like, you know, that you start going, wow, I didn't realize there was a difference. I just, you know, cause before the, the irony of it all, by the way, I had, I, I had just bought like a jug, <laughs> like a, it's, it's the same size as a, a quart, a quart of milk. <laughs> I just bought this giant thing of, of hand sanitizer and uh, my timing couldn't have been better because within like three weeks after that, you couldn't find any of it. You couldn't even find a little, giveaway ones. So it was amazing. Um, let's talk about a couple things, you know, some information that I, I got from, uh, uh, gleaned from your, uh, your company was this, that a report from the U S government accountability office shows that an estimated 54% of public school districts need to update or replace multiple building systems or features in their schools. Improving HVAC systems is at the top of the list with an estimated 41% of districts needing to update or replace HVAC systems in at least half of their schools, representing about 36,000 schools nationwide that need HVAC updates. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, as that's a, because just as a note, I've been a high school principal in different places and, and uh, some pretty good sized schools that had just under 2000 kids and, and, uh, you know, some of them older than others and the older ones, you know, those, those systems really show it. Um, let's talk about that for a minute, that, that information. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, I, I classify that as sort of one of the, one of the many silver linings in this dark cloud that we call COVID-19. And but what I mean by that is it's, it's something that um, many of us knew about, but it really didn't get the, the exposure that it, that it should have in, in a broader sense. And so I, I think um, what, what COVID did is it exposed the vulnerability um, within schools related to HVAC systems. You know, and I, I really can't speak to why, you know, the, that area has been neglected or ignored. I don't know if it's budgetary or just, you know, general lack of awareness. But, you know, historically, at least for the, the last few decades, HVAC really was managed from the perspective of, you know, availability. Is it on? Is it working? 
is is the is the comfortable is the temperature at the right set point yeah. and then probably more recently it's all been about energy efficiency right right and so the, the there wasn't a whole lot of uh, consideration in terms of the, the the quality of the air right and that's only you know really within the past decade um, the EPA CDC ASHRAE and others have really started to um, do more research and, and, you know, shine a light on an area that we need to be thinking about, and, you know, cause there, there's a, there's a lot of implications as it relates to, you know, cognition and, and the health of a student, health of uh, the teachers and others that work in those buildings. But I think also what, what we found out during the pandemic was that these systems actually could be an accelerant for um, transmitting the virus and, you know, other bacteria. And so, um, I think now we have the exposure and we have the willingness to act to, to change things and improve things for the better. That's for And it's, I, and I got to come back to something that you said at first, the, uh, um, I really don't think it was, I, I, I think it's just exactly what you said when it comes to HVAC, if the temperature is right and it's, it's working, which, you know, then it's, you know, out of sight, out of mind, it's, it's staying on. And so it's, it's like, I mean, I, I imagine if you talk to most commercial HVAC companies that take care of people's homes, it's the same way. You know, you don't think about it. And, and most homeowners at some point find themselves getting chewed out by some um, HVAC technician who says, you know, let me show you your air filter. <laughs> All right. This is and I'm replacing it right now, but you need to replace it more often than we we come out. And, you know, and, you know, and I think that's a big part of it is that it's just out of sight, out of mind. The temperature's fine. We're good. And unless you, um, for some reason, have to pay particular attention to it with allergies or other issues you have, I think that uh, as a person, I think that's pretty much what it is. And we'd learn something that we can't really say out of sight, out of mind with those, especially in big buildings, I would think. Today, it's the conversation, and I hope this is this is um, sustainable. But the conversation has shifted from energy efficiency and you know is it reliable and, and working to risk mitigation, you know, and health and, and safety of, of the environment, because that's that's really what it's become. It's really it's very wild, and, you, and you're, what's funny is you're so right because I it just not too long. I mean, everything is about. I mean, if as a school, hiring efficiency experts who'd come in and make sure that you're, you know, they're measuring your your energy levels of use and so forth. And it used to drive me nuts. I was in one system where they had an energy efficient expert who'd come in and and say, uh, well, we just need to start shutting down your systems. And they would just do it. They'd automatically. And as a high school, you're used sometimes, <laughs> maybe not 24 hours a day, but you're, you're pretty close to seven days a week and going into late nights where there's actually people using the school and they'd start shutting off and you go, whoa, hey, I got a, I got 250 cheerleaders in here from all over the place. You can't just shut off. That's an, a real argument I had, by the way. <laughs> and, and you know, it's like, and they're like, well, did you submit the form? Yes, I submitted the form. Well, we decided that you didn't need it. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, there was lots of that type of stuff. But none of it had to do with, it didn't have to do with, are we changing the air filters? Or what level of air filter are we using? And is the system running in the manner in which it needs to? And it, it was pretty, it's been pretty interesting. I, I myself attended a couple of uh, EPA uh, trainings about HVA systems at the beginning of all this stuff this last year. And uh, um, I thought I knew stuff, but I learned a lot more. And, uh, and so suddenly talk about supply chain. Have you seen, uh, 
like demand on the types of filters and stuff that need to be used? And yeah, so what, what we witnessed probably um, you know two thirds of the way through you know, the height of the pandemic was the, the realization that the in many of these districts the the systems were um, um, were not performing properly and really were uh, areas of extreme risk and so. The, the, the go-to, at least the immediate, was MERV 13 filters, right? And so there was a, we saw a huge demand for districts looking to acquire MERV 13 filters and the services that go along with it in terms of retrofitting the system to accommodate those filters. So that that continues to go on. What What's the unintended consequence of that is that those filters are such that it places a tremendous amount of stress on the motor of the HVAC equipment, and that's causing problems related to uh, operational performance, energy efficiency, and so there, there's, um, you know, it truly is a system, and you, you, know, you change one part of that system, there's there's going to be upstream and downstream effects. So um, there, but and I know we'll talk about it, but there are other means of improving the inner, you know, indoor air quality beyond just filtration. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, this is just, it's been such a learning situation. I mean, you'd have to just completely shut yourself off, not to be open to learning stuff that you knew nothing about before. I mean, because it's just even from the aspect of, uh, um, you know, starting to pay attention to how old some of the equipment might be. I mean, and I've I've not done any recent studies, but I mean, the, the number of schools, per state have to be uh, that are you know built in the 60s late 50s there's probably pretty uh, pretty large number there um, you know we got into a point where school systems were consolidated and stuff like that in the late 70s and 80s where uh, that probably helped reduce some of those numbers but uh, I still I, you know there's um, plenty of buildings that were built in a different time frame and you wonder when those la- those HVAC units were installed because I mean I I grew up in Florida, and I went to high schools. I didn't even have them. You know, <laughs> it's you raise a good point, and especially along the you know eastern seaboard, there's a, there's a number of districts that date back hundred plus years, and, wow. and so a lot of the buildings are are at least that old. And you go into these buildings, and and you go into the basement, and you look at the boiler that's been there for 75, 80 years, and but what you find is the boiler's still working, but um, what's happening is the the availability or commercial availability of replacement parts is gone. Wow. And so that, that OEM of that equipment um, has since gone out of business. The, they, they, the, uh, the producers of those aftermarket parts have, have uh, you know, stopped production. And so we get a lot of calls like that as well, looking for help. They, you know, they, the, the boiler's down. It's a part that may be, you know, a couple hundred dollars, uh, you know, relatively low cost, but the whole system shut down because of that one part that's no longer available. And that, that's becoming a bigger problem with, with some of these older systems as well. That's amazing, uh, especially because a lot of people wouldn't even think about that. I mean, it's and, it, you know, it's I'm in a building that uh, um, is a mishmash of years that it was built <laughs> uh, and retrofitted at different times. And so it has a boiler, but it, the boiler, they disconnected it from everything. It's just, you know, a vintage antique thing that's sitting down there. I should take people on tours. And in here we have the <laughs> uh, Museum. Yes, it, it'd make a great scene for a, a horror story or some sort. It's, it's one of this one little scary place down there. Um, let's let's kind of uh, let's move forward. And there's something I want to ask you about. Uh, can you explain what IAQ is and why 
any of us should care because we're going to get a little more detail here. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So IAQ is one of those things that if you ask 10 people, you're probably going to get 10 different definitions. So what I did is in advance of this, I, I went out to the EPA site and I said, well, you know, if anyone's going to define it, um, at least that should be, you know, a standard, if not the best standard. But, you know, they define it really is uh, you know, air quality within and around the building and structure, um, especially as it relates to the health and comfort of the occupants. And in the case of K-12, it's the the, the students, the teachers, the custodians, the administrative staff, um, and really understanding what you know potential pollutants uh, you know are are affecting the environment, and then you know what to do about that. Gotcha. That's a you know it's a once again it's kind of one of those things where uh, you know unless somebody is complaining about something, you don't really pay attention to it until now, I think. So I appreciate you explaining that to us. We, so let's kind of shift to the CDC. What, what's the CDC saying in terms of guidance recommendations at this point? So, you know, the CDC, it's interesting. Um, the, the, the science, I think, and the guidance continues to evolve and, and change. And so you have to really be tuned in to um, almost weekly just to, to, to see what's happening and what, what they're saying. And so, I think they did a pretty nice job of, of guiding uh, organizations, particularly in K-12, as to what, you know, can and should be done. You know, at a high level, um, they, they recommend that schools try to comply with ASHRAE standard 62.1. And that's the standard for ventilation for acceptable indoor air quality. Um, ASHRAE, if, if you're not familiar, is an acronym that stands for American Society of Heating refrigeration and air conditioning engineers. And so they're like the governing body of the HVAC industry for both commercial properties and, and residential as well. And so that's that's at a high level, but they also, you know, they recommend some behavioral changes as relates to social distancing, uh, uh, you know, opening windows, opening doors, but they also offer guidance as it relates to engineering and, and changes that can be made with regard to you know, maintenance and, and how, a, how a school should execute its maintenance strategy to relates to preventive maintenance as well as, as reactive. And then they'll, they'll go a little bit further and talk about maybe some near-term, you know, short-term solutions as well as some of the things that are longer-term and, and, and even get into things like what are low-cost, no-cost solutions versus things that are going to require, you know, a, you know, a, a large capital investment. Gotcha. The, uh, yeah, it's one of the things, just, just a side note, I have to say this because um, you know, I was a high school principal for 12 plus years and uh, um, in different facilities and, you know, and it's, um, it's and then a teacher and, and an administrator, uh, an assistant principal in other places. And what's interesting is that all buildings are not the same <laughs> and, they all, and they all do have their nuances. You know, it's like uh, um, if you have a basement, the basement might be one of those places that uh, um, attracts uh mildew or something like that whereas the part of the building above it it's perfect you know and uh, yes. um, my all-time favorite thing is that but one of the things that's always consistent is there's always a teacher or an administrator who's always cold or hot and you know the the, the technician will come in with something to measure <laughs> and be measuring the the temperature coming out of the blowers and stuff like this and but where i'm going with this is that one of the things i don't think i've ever thought about is except in the case of like mildew or the in the days of the mold scare type stuff, where you worried about that, unless it's got mold attached to it, <laughs> uh, we've never really thought about 
other stuff being part of air quality, I don't think. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, you when, you when you think about it closer, you know, from a personal perspective in your home, you generally only, only think about it when the temperature is not comfortable for you or your, your, your spouse or your partner. Um, you, there's some sort of visual detection. Maybe it's mold in a basement or, or something like that. Um, beyond that, it's, it's usually an afterthought. You know, we, we take it for granted. And I think when we get into commercial spaces, it, it becomes even more so because it's, it's largely out of our control. And, you know, I think, if anything, the COVID-19 pandemic taught us that, hey, this is a whole lot more important than any of us thought. And it's something that we need to be more mindful of, or, you know, wherever, wherever we are. Very, very cool. I, very much so. I, you know, so let's talk a little bit about, so how's the industry, you know, facilities management or uh, HVAC, uh, how are, how's the industry responding to these challenges? Because now that people are becoming more aware, there's going to be demands on the, <laughs> uh-oh, you know, type of stuff happening. So yeah, what we're seeing right now is there's a, um, huge demand that's been pent up both on the residential side as well as on the commercial side. And then you, you couple that with a lot of the supply chain disruptions that occurred when, when things were shut down in Asia and other parts of the world. And so there's you know, massive shortages for uh, new equipment as well as the components and the parts that are used to repair existing equipment. So that that's one thing. That's really the short term where everyone's sort of um, – uh, focus. The, the second thing is they're bringing more innovation to the market. And so it's amazing how fast the innovation curve accelerated during the, the pandemic where, um, you know, large HVAC companies and, and others that are, that were, you know, related to the, you know, indoor air quality um, business came to the market with, with new and innovative solutions that, you know, some of which were, were present prior to the pandemic, but, um, you know, the pandemic in so many ways was an inflection point. And for, from from an innovation standpoint, it was too. So, you have things like um, you know new innovations as it relates to you know filtration media, um, UV lamps uh, for for cleaning air coils um, and keeping them disinfected. There's all kinds of building um, management systems that are now being equipped with IoT technology, Internet of Things technology, so sensors that they can put throughout the buildings that are monitoring indoor air quality in real time. 24 7 and you're able to take sampling from classrooms gymnasiums uh, restrooms you know, pretty much anywhere um, there's other things that are a little bit more um, exotic like bipolar ionization which breaks down a lot of you know airborne contaminants and then there's things just you know basic you know surface uh, disinfection of things like you know air ducts and that sort of thing but I suspect because of the demand and a lot of the federal money that's now available to fix a lot of these things is that you'll continue to see much more innovation as we go forward. Gotcha. Very, you know, it's definitely got to be helping to push it because this is, I mean, it's just, uh, I think that, uh, well, just as a note, I mean, so like as we learn more about the filters, um, you know, we, we made sure that we, we ordered uh, some of the recommended levels to make sure that we're all on the same. We ordered a, a decent supply of them. Well, it took, I think about a month and a half, <laughs> um, yeah. but they came in yesterday, which is kind of appropriate for our, our conversation today, which I thought was funny. <laughs> it's like, hey, check this out. What is, what is this big delivery? And it's like, oh, it's the filters. So, um, but uh, 
I thought that was interesting. I've never been so more excited about filters before. Um, um, so anyway, the uh, um, so let's talk about how districts and or individual school leaders could begin to understand and develop a plan to address the issues and challenges. Yeah, so I think the, the first step really is to to recognize that this problem is not going away, right? That, that it's my hope that we don't live through 2020 ever again, but there there's evidence that these these types of incidents are are happening more frequently. So you think about SARS and swine flu and, and now COVID, but even just generally this the regular influenza that we, we experience throughout the country, throughout the world on an annual basis. These things are, are, are with us, right? And so my hope is that district leaders, school leaders will commit to a more permanent, um, sustainable solutions. And, and now's the time, right? When um, you, you have a crisis that, that captures a lot of people's attention because let's face it, you know, human as humans, memories are short. And you get six months down the road, twelve months down the road, people forget a lot about the pain we just lived through, and they say, "Ah, let's just move on." Right. So, funding is available. You have stakeholder consensus, you know, within a district to say, "Yeah, we need to fix this." So let's do it. Um, I think the other thing that's important for people to, to to start with is to realize that really what they're seeking is an outcome or a result. It's not a product or service that they can go buy off the shelf, right? This is about health and safety. It's, and, and that solution, and, and you mentioned it very well, is these buildings, no building is the same. And so the solution is gonna be good for one school in one district, maybe completely different than a solution for an, another school in the same district. And then you look across different geographies within the country in different districts, um, there's a whole lot of, uh, of, of change that, that would be required. My, my, my recommendation is you start with an assessment and look at your HVAC systems, have the indoor air quality tested and have a baseline. And then also look at, okay, if we're going to, we're going to manage and monitor this going forward and it's really becomes mission critical, sort of like, you know, a school's nutrition program, how are we going to manage it? And, and what does the supply chain look like? that's going to support that. Um, really, really important. And I think the other thing is accountability. Um, one of the things we learned talking to a lot of districts is that nobody, no one person was accountable for this result for this indoor air quality or for that supply chain. It was a shared responsibility. So when everyone, as you know, when everyone's responsible, no one's responsible. And there's a lot of finger pointing and, and pass the buck and not necessarily, in, you know, in a nefarious way, it's just, that's the way, you know, sort of things happen. Um, so that, that would be, you know, at least a starting point. Gotcha. And that's, you know, that's something definitely we can um, start thinking about and doing and uh, looking at how to implement. You know, it's just funny because, I mean, every time I think about uh, um, the buildings, you know, everything from, you know, buildings that are so vintage. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, kind of think about who was in office in some cases. Uh, I mean, there's a whole completely different generations. And then uh, but not only that, in many cases, buildings were built at different times. And so, like, I'm actually in a building that has part of it was built in the 60s, part of it was built in the 70s, part of it was built in the 80s, and part of it was built in the 90s. <laughs> it's like, nice. Okay. And, you know, as it comes forward, obviously, they've had to retrofit things. And uh, and that in itself is unique. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's just a dealing with facilities management is something that I think that uh, um, for some people might not be the, the topic they really want to, you know, 
focus on, but I think this this whole experience we just had said you might want to take a little closer look at it. It's not just about fire safety and uh, some of the others. There's, there's so much more to this now. Yeah, I absolutely totally agree. And that, that is my hope is that it changes people's perspectives and, and therefore would change the way they they act and, and um, you know, go forward. Uh, so, Jim, as you know, we're getting closer to finishing up, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, uh, you know, for K through twelve leaders, uh, you know, are what's is there stuff that you recommend that they could optimize their solutions? I mean, what what do, what do they get what they could do that would really help? Yeah, so one of the, one of the things I'd recommend is well, well, first it's recognizing that the world has changed and and you can't solve um, new problems with with old solutions, and and so you know when you when you think about and I'm, I'll talk more specifically about indoor air quality. And, you know, we mentioned how what they're really seeking is, is a result or an outcome, and, and it's not a product, right? So my recommendation for, to, a, to a school leader or a district leader is um, instead of going to the market with a request for proposal, which is, a, you know, a pretty standard way to go out and, and find um, products and services, uh, rather, I, I would recommend that they go with a request for solution. Right. And what the what the difference is, and it's, it's nuanced, um, subtle, but it, it's really you're 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 sending out a request to experts in the field to have them design a solution or it's outcome based, um, results based. And so what that allows for is innovation and, and creativity instead of prescribing the, 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 the how to do it, like uh, oftentimes it's done you're prescribing what you want to achieve. And, and that um, really allows the industry to, to bring forward innovation and, and creative solutions to, to some of these problems, um, many of which are, are, are new to us um, and will be around. And, and the second part of that would be, instead of contracting um, in, a, in a traditional way, you may want to contract with a, with a performance-based agreement. It's based on key milestones and, and other performance metrics. So um, indoor air quality especially is something that it's, you don't flip the switch and fix it. It's a, it's a constant sort of juggling act of adjusting this and adjusting that and changing this behavior and that behavior. And so an outcome-based, performance-based contract with, with a solution provider really drives that um, commitment to continuous uh, improvement, continuous quality, and making sure that you're always getting that minimum level of, of IAQ. And, and you can write these, these contracts are becoming more and more prevalent, um, not just within K-12, but in, in other industries as well, um, where their you know, solutions are a little bit more complex um, than just buying a product. So those two things combined, I think, would, would help tremendously for this specific um, issue. Very cool. I appreciate you sharing that. And, uh, you know, one of the things I want to make sure I ask you is this. Uh, do you have any thoughts about communicating with schools, families and the community as a whole? Uh, you know, this stuff that the school district or the school could do um, to help let families, you know, kind of have an ease of mind, know what they're doing. Yeah, so you know, I'm a parent. I have uh, I have three sons, uh, two of which are in in college, one of which is in, is still in high school. And you know, I I like to know um, that when he goes to school, that he's going to be safe and and he's going to be learning in a you know a healthy environment. And and so I think um, 
you know, I, I, I approach it from a personal side, but then, you know, also I, I think there's tremendous value in, in bringing the community in together um, and educating the community overall about what the school is doing and, and the steps it's taking to, to deliver these types of outcomes that in order to, to achieve the goals and the outcomes related to education, they're taking steps from an AI, you know, an IAQ standpoint as well as a supply chain standpoint to make sure that those outcomes are, are achieved. That's excellent there. I know that uh, it's, it can be difficult because everybody's wanting to <laughs> tell you how to do this, that, the other, but I think that it's important that we, we let parents know that we are, you know, we don't have our heads in the sand. We're dealing, dealing with it. And, uh, any advice is always helpful on, on doing that. So appreciate it. Uh, Jim, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Yeah, I, w- I would encourage people to visit our, our website, www.sdi.com. Um, other resources I mentioned is ASHRAE, um, ASHRAE.com. Uh, the CDC has some, some great information as well as the EPA. But in terms of you know specific solutions, um, they can reach out through our website. They can find me very easily. Excellent. I'll, I'll have that uh, information in my show notes so they can find those links right there and uh, and link to it from that, as well as if they're listening to us on the phone, it's just all I got to do is scroll down there and in the show notes and click on those links and they'll take you right to you. Um, good stuff. I, Jim, I have some questions I like to ask my guests and uh, they don't have anything to do with what we're talking about right now. It's just things I'm curious about. So uh, bear with me just a second. The first one is this. Um, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Well, um, you know, it, you know, from a pandemic perspective, I got a lot of um, motivation from watching the team we have in New York. And so when, when many of us were, were sent home to work remotely, those folks, that wasn't an option. And, and there, those people showed up every day and literally worked, in some cases, 24-7. And, and I think what it demonstrated to everyone um, throughout our, our organization and to many of our customers is just the, the essential nature of our work. And, and in that, we, we discovered purpose that we probably knew already, but we, we switched from being um, really focused on efficiency, which is what we're known for, and, and driving those types of outcomes to um, viewing ourselves from the, through the prism of purpose and, and, and finding meaning in our work beyond just the economics of it. And so that, you know, it, I, I think that's um, had a tremendous impact on our culture as well. And, and people view their jobs and, and what they do every day very differently, whether they're working at a client site, like in the case of New York City Department of Ed, or they're working here in the office in Pennsylvania, or they're working in California remotely. Um, I think that that feeling sort of transcends all of our different functions and people. Appreciate it. You know, with all the, the stuff going on in whatever industry people are in, I'm sure at some point they get to some point, especially this last year, where it's like, okay, <laughs> Just one more thing, and I'm going to, I'm going to scream, or I'm going out that door. You know, it's like, and how do we deal with that? So good stuff. I, I, last question: Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it, and what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Well, um, probably many, many teachers, but um, one one that comes to mind. It, um, I'm not quite sure if he was freshman year or sophomore year. It's been a while. Uh, Mr. Donahue, who was, um, was teaching me, it was either algebra or geometry, and I struggled uh, with, with math uh, that particular year, and, and probably, you know, truth be told, throughout the 12 years. But um, 
he uh, he really challenged me. And, and one day, particularly in, in this one class, uh, you know, it's a vivid memory. He um, he kept peppering me, and I had all the wrong answers, but he wouldn't let up. And it was it was embarrassing, and it was you know somewhat humiliating at that age. But it also um, I, I I eventually got it. You know, that day he would not let up until I got it, and I learned it. And and it was um, it was learning not only in the sense that hey I, I I figured out that equation or that that problem, but it was learning that hey if I I keep at it I can get this. You know I may not get it as fast as as others, but you know through some grit and some determination, um, you know I, I can figure this stuff out. And I, that was uh, you know I want to be too dramatic, but that was sort sort of a turning point. Uh, you know is in terms of you know my my academic career and what I was going to do after high school and going on to college. That's awesome. Appreciate you sharing this. It's cool. Um, I like hearing people's different stories. So thank you. Jim, thanks so much for talking with me today. SDI offers K through 12 systems, district school leaders, some awesome thoughts about how to deal with the issues and challenges of indoor air quality. Uh, thanks for providing your thoughts and time and, uh, and all your recommendations. And I wish you the best in all you do. Thank you, Dr. Mileto. It's been great spending time with you. Have a great day. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that we'll be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors. Find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. <laughs> The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.